turn with me to Acts chapter 26. If I'm not mistaken, that's where we left off. This is one of those fandangled things that I can't turn the knobs. Oh well. In Acts chapter 26, we concluded with Paul being before Agrippa two weeks ago. I believe, but if not, that's where we're going to pick up anyway. Acts chapter 26, verse 1. Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Now, King Agrippa was uh, part of Herod's family. Okay, remember Herod, whenever Jesus was born, and Herod had all the babies killed. Okay, and then Herod's son had John the Baptist killed because Herod was with his daughter uh, sister-in-law uh, and then and then uh, King Agrippa's dad uh, had James martyred and was going to have Peter martyred and this is so this is a great grandson of Herod from Jesus's day okay and and King Agrippa is is in Paul says you're an expert in all Jewish things because the the family has been in Jerusalem for the last 35 years or more or I guess more I guess more I'm sorry so he's the family's been there and he and this king this Agrippa is so much over the Jewish customs that he has responsibility of of the Jewish temple's treasury plus he names the high priest now you know the Roman government is in charge of the the, the Jewish uh, religion completely at this moment because the Roman cohort the guy that's the, the governor over the Jew, the Jews is responsible for naming the high priest. It's not the religious group. It's the government that names the high priest. Alright? So, but that's who that's who this King Agrippa is. Now let's turn back a page, just a, or, or a few verses. Look at verse 23, just for a minute, of chapter 25. So on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice, amid great... Pomp. 
And we and I just want to stop there. Bernice, I skipped over that two weeks ago. Bernice is actually Agrippa's sister who lives with him as wife. Okay? She's been married to her uncle. She left her uncle for her brother. She leaves her brother for one of the Roman Caesars. Comes back to her brother. Goes back to a Roman Caesar. Comes back to her brother. And 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 the Caes- the Caesars are are father son. And 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 one of them puts her aside. The son of that puts her away because she is so immoral that the Roman people do not accept her. Now, pagan Rome does not accept her as a person of influence in the Roman government and yet she is hanging around she is the partner of the person that is over the Jews for the Roman government okay that's who Agrippa is alright y'all with me who says the Bible is not interesting Nothing new under the sun, folks. All right? It's, it's, it's kind of detestable, actually. But anyway. And Paul says, you understand you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. He has been, Agrippa has been over and understands all things about Judaism. He knows everything there is. I mean, he is there with Judaism. He knows it. He, he, knows, he knows the religious practices of everything. He, he even is even versed in the Old Testament teachings because his close ties to Jerusalem. All right? So that's Paul is saying, I'm glad that I'm here in front of you So then, he goes on. Verse 4. So then, all the Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. So Paul says, "I'm, I'm a Pharisee. Philippians chapter 3, we've turned there several times. He says, I'm a Pharisee of all Pharisees. I am a Pharisee. He was raised as a Pharisee. Alright? So, so as a Pharisee, they a Pharisee is the most conservative of the religious group. Now, we look at Pharisees because Jesus called them whitewashed sepulchers. Okay, that they looked pretty on the outside, but they were dead on the inside. Alright, that's what Jesus says about it. But during this day, they were the most respected of all the religious people. Okay? They dressed the best. 
They knew Scripture better than anybody. The Old Testament Scripture, they knew it better than anybody. Their interpretation of the Old Testament Scripture was what was accepted and taught by everybody except for the, San, except for the Sadducees. They were considered the, the leaders of Judaism. And so Paul is presenting himself to Agrippa saying, I grew up as a Jew, was taught as a Pharisee, and I lived my life as a Pharisee. Which means that he followed all the law to the best of his ability all the time. He wasn't a carouser. He didn't, he didn't go out doing things. He wasn't, he wasn't about breaking the law. He was all about following the law. Alright? He says, And now I'm standing on trial. Tri I'm standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which we are, our twelve tribes hope to obtain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it incre considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So let's let's look. Whenever he says I, I'm I'm on trial because of the promise made by God to our fathers. Turn with me several places. We're going to look at some of the places that the resurrection is taught in the Old Testament. Okay? Because as a as a Pharisee, he believed in the resurrection even before he became a believer in Christ, he believed in the resurrection. Okay, so let's, let's look at some of the places that he teaches the resurrection. Turn with me to Job chapter 19. And I didn't mark the scriptures tonight, so we're all turning together. Job chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. Job is speaking and he says, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. And the last means the last day. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. Now what does that sound like? That sounds like the resurrection. That's the millennial kingdom. He's talking about, Job is talking about the millennial kingdom. He knows he's going to die. He knows his flesh is going to deteriorate, but at the same time, he knows he's going to re be resurrected and he's going to see God, Jesus, or the, his Redeemer, in bodily form. And he's going to be in bodily form. All right, turn with me to uh, Psalm 16.
Psalm 16, verse 10. Now this is a messianic psalm. But David is saying, David's writing, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So it's it's a messianic psalm. It's talking about Jesus. David is writing that whenever Jesus dies, God is not going to allow his soul to stay in Sheol or in death and, and, and his body is not going to decay. Jesus is going to rise from the dead. That's, that, David writes that. Alright? So, and then turn to Psalm 49, 15. Psalm 49, 15. Now this is this is a psalm of of the sons of Korah. We don't know which son it was, but but Korah was one of the leaders of the Levites. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, he for he will receive me, Selah. All right, so so he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And then find a uh, last place in, in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Verse 23. To the end of the verse. Or end of the... Uh, into the chapter. Nevertheless, I will continually, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, I will guide you. You will guide me, I'm sorry, and afterwards receive me the glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and beside you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the near, nearness of God is my God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. And he, he's just talking about that God is with him presently and is going to be with him forever. Now turn with me to Daniel chapter 2. That's the last time we're going to turn. Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. There's many, many other verses that we could turn to, but for time's sake, we're going to stop with this one. Verse 2. Chapter 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. 
Now, we read those verses and we think we're reading them from the cross and from the resurrection of Jesus. Job and Daniel and, and David and the sons of Kor, they were reading the, writing them before Jesus ever came. And Paul's saying, I am on trial because I believe in what was taught to our fathers. And I just believe it. And y'all can't believe it? What? Why can't you believe it? I believed it before I believed it. Okay, that's what he's saying. Alright, as a Pharisee, he believed in the resurrection. Alright? But because he believed in the Judaism part of the resurrection, look at what verse 10. Uh, we're back in chapter 26 of Acts. Verse 10. Uh, do verse 9. So then, I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. Now that's a reference to Stephen. And as I punished them, often all in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Now you can read about that in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 7, Acts chapter 8, and Acts chapter 9. Alright? So Paul starts his defense about who he was. Good way to share your testimony. Here's who I used to be. There's always a before. Alright? There's Paul's before. I was a good person. That's what Paul said. I was a good person. I was a Pharisee. I, I was the most religious person you'd ever want to meet. I was so religious. I was chasing people that weren't as religious as me trying to make them to be as religious as me that's what he said alright that's his before now he's going to move to the change now let's, let's look at the change verse 12 while so in, engaged I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest and at midday, O king, I, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And we had all fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me in Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, a lot of liberals... have tried to take away the fact that Jesus actually came out of heaven to stand before Paul. Okay? They said because of maybe Paul's 
uh, physical ailments. They said that Paul had an epileptic fit. And he just fell out. Okay? Charles Spurgeon said to that, may we all have the epileptic fit that changes a man to preach the gospel with such power. Some people have said that he had a heat stroke from, from sun, a sunstroke. So Harry Ironside, who is a, another theologian, old-timey time, preacher, said, I would agree with him. It was a sunstroke, S-O-N. He struck him down. <laughs> All right? Everybody tries to explain away what God does. But folks, you can't explain away changes in people's lives. And what Paul is saying here is he's given his testimony to Agrippa God met me where I was met him right and he got my attention because see in Paul's religion he saw everything perfectly he knew scripture better than anybody read his letters he quotes the Old Testament more than anybody does. That's why most people believe that the book of Hebrews was written by Paul because all it is is the Old Testament rewritten, explaining Jesus. All right? And Paul is an Old Testament scholar applying the Old Testament. No, don't ever let anybody teach, tell you that the Old Testament is not applicable to the New Testament gospel. I mean, we just read several verses about the resurrection in the Old Testament. We have to have the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. You have to. I'm sorry. It doesn't work without one and without the other. So what God does on the, day, on the road to Damascus is take away the one thing that Paul was leaning on. His sight. Not just his physical sight, but his spiritual sight. Folks, God will bring us to our knees where we are. We think we are strong. He calls him by name, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul is his Hebrew name. Folks, he doesn't change his name here. He changed, we talked about that whenever his name was changed. His name is changed not because of his salvation, but because of his ministry. It, it, he, he was recognized as Paul because that's his Roman name. Saul is his Jewish name. Okay? Saul and Paul are the same name. Alright? So don't, don't, you know, people preach all the time, God changed his name on the road to Damascus. No, he didn't. He changed his, his name was changed because of the ministry that he had to the, to the Greeks 
and they would recognize him more as Paul than he, they would to Saul. All right, so I, I, I'm, that's just a pet peeve of mine. So let me have a pet peeve once in a while, and, and we'll go on. All right, so anyway, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember, Jesus said, if you do this to the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. Remember whenever he said to his disciples that, that whenever you saw me hungry, you fed me. Whenever you saw me thirsty, you gave me water. You saw me naked, you clothed me. And, and they said, when did we see you this? Or, or, and, and he said, well, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And what Jesus is saying here, you're persecuting me whenever you're persecuting these people. Folks, when our people persecute us as believers, they're not persecuting us, they're persecuting Christ. And so Jesus is speaking to him. He says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm Verse 15. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but get up and stand on your feet for this purpose. I've appointed you to, uh, to appoint you a minister. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. See, even on the road to Damascus, he, t he tells him he's going to appear to him more often. We've looked at it several times. He appears to him in, in prison a couple of times and says, tells him at night, you are going to Rome. You are going to do these things. He, he continues on. He says he's rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among those who, you, who have been sanctified by faith in me. So now what he's saying is, he's saying this is what's happened to me. This is my salvation experience. Jesus appeared to me. Showed me where I was wrong. Told me who he was. Gave me my marching, marching orders. So now we have the before. We have the how. And here's the after. Here's what his life's been like after. Look at verse 19. So King Agrippa... I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. He goes to a negative. Instead of saying, I obeyed him, he says, I proved not to be disobedient to him. That's Paul for you. Something he could have said simply, I obeyed. He, he made it very, he, he just, he's not a simple man. Verse 20, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first, also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Now here's, here's the key there. Folks, salvation is seen by our behavior. It's not because of our behavior, but it's seen in our behavior. Now listen, listen to me. Go back, go back a verse, please, ma'am. 
Look at that last phrase. Performing deeds appropriate to repentance. If our salvation does not transform our life, we need a check on our salvation. There is supposed to be a change in our behavior. It doesn't say we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we're never going to sin again. But we are guilty. And I say we. Southern Baptists have been guilty of easy believism for a long, long time. We're not making disciples. We're making church members. We could go back to the, the, the campaign a million more in 54. We baptized a million people that year. The first year, the, the Southern Baptist Convention baptized like a million people. A million more in 54. And an easy believism was developed. And we don't make disciples. We make, we make church members. Folks, it's about discipleship. And that's what Jesus or Paul is saying here. That his ministry... He was obedient to teaching people that their lives should be transformed by the gospel. That they show performing the deeds appropriate to repentance. Now again, we're going to mess up. Anybody in the room sinless? There were a couple of hours this afternoon I didn't sin, but I was asleep. (laughs) Okay? All right? Yeah, I take an hour and a half nap on Sunday afternoons. <laughs> it was nice, too. Sorry, Pam, you didn't get yours. but You know, but it's difficult to live a life of repentance, and yet we're called to. And then he goes on, For this reason some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. He goes back to that he's, he's teaching the Gentiles. Talked about the resurrection. Now he's talking about the Gentiles. So having obtained, verse 22, having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said according to take, was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Alright? The Old Testament teaches that Jesus was going to suffer. He was going to die. He was going to be resurrected. He was going to preach. So there's the after. There's, life, there's Paul's life afterwards. Our testimony has a before. What were we like before? How did we come to know that we needed Jesus? What what was it that that hit us in our heart that said we need Jesus in our lives? And what 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 was the challenge for us to do after that? And then what has our life been like since? That, that's the A, B, and C of, of of sharing your testimony of before, how, and after. All right. He is getting to the point of fixing to pull the. The, the invitation, if you will, 
he is really on the verge of, man, he, he's got everybody on the edge of their seat as he shared all this. And look at what Felix does. Listen to, I'm not Felix, but Festus. Verse 24, while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus stood in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Isn't that about right? You're crazy. It doesn't make sense for a man to come back from the dead. It doesn't make sense for you to have left the prestige of being a Pharisee and, and now being in chains, standing before me and preaching this nonsense. That does not make sense. You're crazy. Don't turn here, but I'll, I want to read this to you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For if we are beside ourselves, which means if we are crazy, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it's for you. If I've lost my mind, it's because of God. But if I'm of sound mind, it's so I can teach you about God. Okay? Paul was every, every much in his, every bit of his, in his right mind. He says, verse 25, he goes on to it, trying to connect. He says, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I utter words of sober truth. For the king, turning back to Agrippa, for the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian? Agrippa's close. He gets real close. Remember what I told you about Agrippa to start with? Who's his wife? She leaves him a couple of times to go with other people. Always comes back and he always takes her back. King Agrippa is in, a, in the most prestigious place as, as far as the Ro Roman government is that he'll ever be. His pride. The lust that controls him. Paul has him right there. And he says, you really think you're going to convince me in just a short time? Folks, pride, lust, sin, personal desire, prestige, wealth, money, whatever, keeps us from the glory of God. He goes on. Paul says, I wish, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. 
could I, could I convince one person in the room to accept Christ as I'm in Christ? Is there one person that is ready to join me in the battle? That's what Paul is saying. Festus has just told him he's crazy. Agrippa is saying, you really think you're going to convince me to leave all that I have in just this short time? And Paul says, hey, whether it's this moment or another moment or whatever, I wish you would come to know Christ. And then he goes on, the king stood up and the governor and Bernice and those who were sitting with him, and they, made, they had gone aside, and they began talking to one another, saying, This man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Now, there was a reason for him to appeal to Caesar. The reason is for him to go to, to Rome. He's going to get to Rome. We're going to see the journey that he has. Uh, in two weeks, we'll start with chapter 27 and see the, the, the journey that he's on. Uh, but, but as you think about your testimonies, we've started, uh, who's your one? As, as you think about sharing the gospel with someone, as you think about uh, a person's name that you're praying for, how, how do you, what is your testimony? When, what were you like before Jesus? Oh, some people have have big testimonies. I did this, 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 this. Oh, don't glorify the sin. Glorify the Christ that saved you from the sin. Some people were saved as children. But we all still had to come to that point that we knew that we were sinners. Be confronted with our sin. But then we have to get up and walk a, a life that that shows repentance. And as we show that repentance, obedience to Christ. And what is our life like since? Well, let me tell you. Folks, there's stuff going on in my life. I've, y'all, I know my, my life isn't as bad as some people's. But there's some things that, that's happened and is happening and going on and I'm like, God, if this wasn't, if, if I didn't have the hope of who you are, I'd just run off and hide somewhere. Okay? But man, God just keeps whispering in my ear or saying out loud or showing me something or give, putting someone in my life and there's hope and hope and joy and hope and, and there's rejoicing in the morning. You know? And all I know is tomorrow morning I'm going to wake up and I'm going to thank God for everything that's going on. Because I know He's greater than anything that I could ever go on negative. And I haven't experienced a whole... You know, I know. I don't have a grandbaby at the children's. On a feeding tube, weighing nine pounds at a month old. I don't have that. I don't have a friend that's got cancer that they're attacking it with radiation. And I don't have... 
I haven't lost a spouse. I haven't. There's some things I haven't experienced that some of y'all have. I, I understand that. There might be some things going on in my life that you haven't understood. You wouldn't understand. But I know this. The God of heaven, the God that created everything, that named every star, and He knows all the stars by name, keeps them in order, knows everything about my life, knows every step I've ever taken, every thought I've ever had, every word I've ever spoken. And nothing in my life will ever cause him to shake or shudder and I'm right in the middle of his hand. Man, what a great place to be. That's my testimony. And it's growing better every day. Hold on to it. All right. Let's uh, let's conclude with a word of prayer.